Hello, and welcome to the Integrative Path Podcast. My name is Brandon Jacobs, and I'll be your primary host. I am a co-founder and the director of Allied Health here at Park Integrative Health. I'm sitting here today with Heather Gaisley, who is our Director of Integrative Health, as well as we'll be interviewing Dr. Nija Bakshi, who is primarily uh, our Medical Director here at Park Integrative Health, but she is also the Facility Section Lead of General Internal Medicine at the Royal Alexandra Hospital, as well as the Director Site of Medical Education. And so we're very pleased that she's been able to sit with us today in spite of both of her roles and her role at home as a partner and a spouse uh, and a mother to two twin girls. So thank you for being here, Nija. Thank you for having me. Okay. I guess we should just dive right in. Um, we have a lot of questions and our listeners have um, asked us to ask a few, a few different things. And so the very first thing that we've thought of to ask is, what drew you into the practice of allopathic medicine? Oh, that's a very loaded question and a, yes, a it question is. that takes me all the way back to my childhood. Great. Um, I am very fortunate to have a role model in my mother, who is a family physician. She officially retired uh, December 31st of this last year at the age of 70. And so she um, was a resident when I was born and I grew up essentially with her in her practice. So she was a, a quintessential rural family physician. She worked uh, in an area that was quite underserved. She had patients that came from all over rural Pennsylvania, uh, but she also did hospital rounds in the time where family physicians would see their own patients in the hospital. And so I remember going to uh, the hospital with her on Saturdays and Sundays when we didn't have childcare, and I would sit at the nurse's station with coloring. At the time, we didn't have COVID, so we didn't have to worry about any of that. Um, sometimes she would take me in to see her patients, and that was really awesome because her patients were generally elderly, and they would love seeing a little kid coming around along with their mom for rounds and so that was my first exposure. I obviously didn't understand any of the medicine, I didn't understand any of the disease, um, but I just saw how well my mom connected with people and that was probably my first exposure. And then as I grew up I was always science-minded so I knew that I wanted some to do something either in chemistry, I loved chemistry, or again in medicine and so uh, throughout my high school I did a lot of volunteer work, I worked um, in my mom's office as a clerk, I worked in my dad uh, had at the time was working in a physiotherapy clinic, so I worked at the front desk. So a lot of exposure to just helping people and seeing other people help people, mm -hmm. um, and that's really what drew me, uh, and that's kind of what set my career. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think what's also very interesting is that while you all are going to listen to this later on, we are talking to Dr. Baksha here on International Women's Day, so what a nice way to pay homage to, to your mother. So mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that story. Uh, a follow-up to all of this is, what has been your personal health journey, and what's it been like, and how has it brought you to investing into a more integrative approach? Uh, great question. So, um, my personal health journey probably centers mostly around my weight and my body image. Um, so, I, I, was, I was kind of an athlete in high school. I played tennis, um, but I was the biggest girl on the team. Um, I was always somebody who struggled with weight throughout my adolescence, my teenage years, um, particularly gained quite a bit of weight when I was in college. Uh, and as, as most, I think, young women uh, struggled with body image and struggled with acceptance of, uh, I need to look a certain way, and it never was about health. It was never about how I felt. It was often about, can I wear these pants, or can I wear this outfit, or my friends are going to a club, and I'm going to be the one that's holding everybody's purse because I can't actually show off what I mm -hmm. want to show off. So it was always about body image. Um, and 
I think in the late 90s and the early 2000s, I did a lot of diets. I did a lot of um, Weight Watchers and, and all kinds of things. And I, I did lose weight, but then I would gain it back. And so all of that really affected my self-esteem. On one hand, I was accomplished professionally, but personally, I felt very... Um, inauthentic. I didn't feel like who I felt on the outside or what people saw me as. That's not how I felt. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of that was based on how I looked when I looked in the mirror. Um, I remember very, very terrible times, uh, kind of in my mid-20s, where I would look in the mirror and I would get really, really disgusted. And I would hit myself because I just didn't like what I saw. And at the time, I don't think I understood how how deeply disturbing that was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think I thought that was just how I was coping with it. Um, and then, you know, I, I lost a lot of weight before I got married um, and pretty well maintained that until I got pregnant. And um, I was fortunate to have a very healthy pregnancy. Um, I had twin girls and got them almost to term. I Thankfully, I didn't really worry about how much weight I was gaining. I really just wanted to focus on having healthy babies and having a healthy pregnancy. Um, but after having the, the babies, um, I went back to work fairly quickly. And I, I have a very, very busy life, and I did not put myself first, which is pretty much the mantra of my whole life. <laughs> um, and I think many women can probably relate to that, especially early in motherhood. You're trying to figure out how to take care of children. You're trying to figure out how to still be a wife. You're trying to figure out how to still be a physician and show up professionally. And so my health was completely on the back burner. A um, couple years, uh, when the girls were a couple years old, um, I started to uh, have a lot of back pain. And I guess, rewinding a little bit, I had met you, Brandon, a few years prior to that, um, before the girls were born. Um, I was seeking out massage for, and that was really my only foray into allied health services at that point, personally. Um, and I reached out just because I was having some neck pain, some tension, headaches, I think things that are very common to most people. Um, and that's how I met you. And then um, throughout um, the early years of my girls, I started to have a lot of back pain. And we focused on that during massage, but quickly realized that I had um, herniated disc, L5-S1, uh, which was probably a combination of the girls, but also my weight. And so again, I reached out to you about personal training. We started working out, but my mind was not there. Um, my body was ready to move, but my brain was mm-hmm. not. And I don't think I was fully accepting of either I was worthy of doing this journey or that I was capable of doing this journey, um, kind of a combination of all of those things. And certainly, as we know, when it comes to weight, it's not just movement, it's nutrition, it's, it's a whole lot of other things, your mental health. Um, but I was only focusing on one piece. So moving forward, I ended up needing surgery. But prior to that, you had recommended, I think you had spoken with Heather, and uh, I was complaining about you know too, taking too many pain medications, Advil, Tylenol for my back. Uh, I started seeing an acupuncturist. Um, it was very brief because I ended up needing surgery, um, but it was very helpful in kind of, I think, prolonging how, how soon I needed surgery. Mm-hmm. But I still hadn't integrated it all. It was still just these little pieces of things that I used to band-aid what was going on at the time. And, and in reflection and in retrospect now, I think it was because my mental health was not priority. I had not figured out why I needed all these things. Um, after surgery, we actually opened the clinic, um, and so we really had the stress of opening a new business. I think we um, thought that we were going to be gung-ho and up and running <laughs> day one, uh, and that didn't happen. I think that was a that was a big kind of mental hit for all of us. We were proud, but at the same time, I, I don't think we fully understood what opening a new business was like, and so the stress of all of that 
on top of I was still still carrying a hospital practice and my kids are now starting to enter school so there was a whole lot of other stressors mm-hmm. that came along with that um, and ultimately I think uh, I, I'm gonna say 2018 between 2018 and 2019 um, I started to see Ardell at the recommendation of the both of you um, to who's one of our holistic nutritionists here at Park um, to kind of understand more about my relationship with food was it initially started out with I was hoping to get some more recipes <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and it turned into mm-hmm. way way more than that um, and I also uh, started seeing Heather for acupuncture um, and we worked on a number of things my headaches uh, some other some other issues that I was having um, but there was one session that I had with Heather that really tied everything together which is um, and I'm not gonna get the technical terms right <laughs> um, but she she put a needle in my abdomen which was a very very uh, vulnerable place to be and very um, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard place to show to anybody. And, and while Heather and I are very close friends, it's still very difficult to do. And that, that moment opened up my brain to say it's time to look beyond just what I physically look like in the mirror. Um, and that there's all these other tools, acupuncture, holistic, uh, nutrition, mental health that I probably need to integrate together. Mm-hmm. It's a very long-winded answer. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And you even mentioned a few things that I think I'd forgotten about because our relationship does span over 10 years, I think we had our quote-unquote 10-year anniversary of your first treatment with me at a previous clinic that I was at. And as a relationship, you're like, I was the one that drove you to your surgery at mm-hmm. that ungodly 4 or 5 o'clock that, yeah. in the morning. Uh, and so our relationship has been, and obviously I was here when the opening of Park uh, was delayed. And I remember we could have delayed it even further uh, when we were piecing together our all-user restrooms. And so I know that there were a lot of a lot of stressors along the way and we've seen the insurmountable growth of you not only believe in integrative healthcare but start to use it because even though you just said that you were only piecing it together like I think that that's where it starts because it's all these little threads of connectivity that you probably didn't even realize that you were doing integrative health or moving closer towards it mm-hmm. without even really realizing it so um, I thank you for sharing all of that, I know that our listeners are going to resonate with probably the majority of that, but little bits and pieces as well, because I've even come into contact with a few people who are doing just that. They're piecing together these little bits throughout their history and their life and bringing it to the present and realizing, like, how can I achieve this higher state of wellness or remembered wellness, as Heather would, as Heather would put it? I would also say that there's something that I that I've told so many of my acupuncture clients again and again and it's that look for the small moments Mm -hmm. because if we are always changing these big monumental shifts we miss that tiny opportunity of recognizing that that we've had this shift so I I really thank you for sharing so much of your story yeah yeah it's it's very heartwarming to hear and we're we feel very lucky to have been you know pieces pieces of that journey for sure uh, you might have touched on it, but I'm going to ask you directly. Um, was there a defining moment in your health journey that you realized that allied health and allopathic health are equally important? Yeah, and, and I think on some level, I probably always knew it, um, although never could conceptualize it. And I say that 
number one, I have a very spiritual background. So I grew up in a Hindu family, East Indian family, where my my grandparents were big um, believers in the body healing itself. So using herbs, using turmeric, using home remedies, obviously there was a place for the physician, there was a place for the Western peas, but they often use that. So I think I always knew it in the back of my head, but it, but I didn't know how it would relate to the general public, you know, because I was brought up in a very Western scientific model of medicine. Um, I would say probably there was, there was lots of discussions that you and I had, Brandon, um, when my back was really hurting. And I think I had asked you, and I, and I forgive me if I, I probably asked Heather as well, but I, I think probably I was speaking to you at length about what do I need to do to get this back pain to feel better? And I think I was talking to you about yoga and you had mentioned acupuncture and, and outside of knowing that Heather was an acupuncture school, like that was my knowledge of acupuncture. I knew nothing about acupuncture. And I, I very vividly remember that you both had selected somebody for me to go see that thought would be a good bridge. That would be mm-hmm. a, the right person to give me some papers, <laughs> even though I don't know that I actually needed it, but I think it was helpful. It was a really good, like first baby step into uh, allied health and I remember having a conversation with this practitioner and he was he was extremely brilliant um, and and very um, uh, was able to explain things in a way that I understood and after my first session and I I know there's always you know the, the euphoria after the first acupuncture session but I thought why aren't we offering this to other people like why aren't other people doing this you don't you know it even if it made me feel good for 24 or 48 hours like why wouldn't I offer this to other people um so I think that was my first moment of saying like oh my gosh this this stuff really does work I don't know how it's going to integrate fully into a treatment plan but Mm -hmm. I know that there is extreme value to this that that the masses need to know about well I really appreciate you sharing that because I I know that you to us you're one of a kind but I know that there are other physicians out there and internists out there that feel similarly or maybe are a little too trepidatious because they don't know enough about acupuncture even though it's over 2,000 years old so like it's been around for for quite some time and so I'm glad that you're able to speak to it that you've had some personal experience with it and um, I know that you saw a really great value in bringing it uh, when we when we did open up the clinic which is a nice little bridge and foray into uh, the next question that I want that I want to post to you, which is probably going to be a little bit lengthy, but I'm sure our listeners really would like to hear because they'll have heard pieces of my story um, before this, and that is, why did you found Park Integrative Health? <laughs> oh, that, that's a great question, and I think it's funny, and I don't know if it's the same for you, Brandon, but I feel like my reasons have changed <laughs> over the number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think my very initial reason, way way back even before integrative health came into my mind, I knew that I wanted to do outpatient medicine. I was doing a lot of acute care, which I love. It's still my passion, but I was missing the piece of connecting with patients outside of the hospital and being able to follow them through their journey, be able to support them through their journey. Um, so I knew I wanted to open a clinic, but there was no time urgency on it. My kids were young. I didn't feel like I really had to push that right away. Um, but then after, after a lot of discussions that we had after our friendship did grow, um, I think at that point I thought, I I think I asked you the question of, of can all these modalities, and I think at the time we were only, I I was only thinking about massage. I I did not know enough about anything else. I think, uh, you and Heather really opened up my eyes to a lot of the other things that were out there. I know I was probably quite stubborn in the beginning too. Um, but I, I, 
my first thought was, can we offer education other modalities to patients so that they know that there's other things out there? That was the initial goal, was to provide that education, provide the tools, and provide a space where they felt that the provider they were seeing was in line with physicians, in line with with all the things that uh, a patient could benefit from. I think over time, over the last three to four years now, it has been about truly elevating health as a value, truly elevating the patient as the agent of their healthcare journey, uh, truly understanding that the patient and the provider are not working against each other, that one is not more superior than the other, that they're actually working in tandem. Because as providers, we have the education, we might have personal experience, but often we don't bring a lot of our personal experience into the, into the consultation, but we are there to guide. The patient is the one that has to go home and continue. And if I extrapolate that to myself, I can be given all the tools by you, by Heather, by, uh, by a therapist, but until I can reconcile it at home and manage it into my day-to-day life, because the stresses of life aren't going away, um, things that external forces are not going to change, there are going to be stressful moments, but as the patient, can I integrate everything together? And that's what I hope Park will be able to provide to people that are walking in here. Not only a safe space, but a space where they feel like they're in a team. Mm-hmm. And I know that that's what we've really, I don't know, we've been really striving to, to provide that space. And I think that it is ever evolving, but I know that safety and a place to feel like you've come home and that you are the agent of your own experience is what we've done our, our very, very best to create. And while, while I'm sure we can all appreciate that there's been some isolated misses here and there, like, man, have we ever learned about how to better care for our community because that was ultimately what we wanted to do when we opened up in Sherwood Park. We Mm -hmm. chose it very specifically, the heart of Sherwood Park. I grew up here, Mahesh's family lives here. Um, And so I really feel like that's, um, yeah, that's been a really important part. I think it's also been incredible in the last two years since I've been a registered acupuncturist at the clinic for the two of us as practitioners to have very meaningful conversation about conversations about how we can impact a particular patient's journey or how we can provide them with a, a different avenue or a different opportunity. And I've loved the conversations where you've walked down the hallway and you've given me the background on a patient and what do you think from a Chinese medicine perspective. Mm-hmm. And the same for myself when someone has come to see me and I know that there's a biomedical red flag there and they may or may not have access to a physician but to have that sounding board of what what do we need to do here and what am, what am I missing or what am I not seeing or what can we do? So that's really, that's really the foundation of what Park Integrative Health is about. It's, it's that ability to have conversation between providers, but also to have that conversation um, from the place of the greatest level of respect for the patient or for the client. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Um, you've mentioned stress a few times, um, so I want to ask you, uh, lots of people might not know, but you've been on the very, very front lines of, of COVID-19, of the pandemic, and you've been working as a physician on these units for the last year, and would you mind sharing with our listeners what even part of a shift or what one shift is like for you on the unit? Oh, I have to relive this. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, you know, I think it's it's 
interesting because as a hospital and as infection control, we're not allowed to share the behind the scenes with mm -hmm. video footage. And I think it's really helpful for the people to know what it, what goes on in a COVID ward. Um, typically, you know, it, it starts like any other day. We, we go into the onto the unit and we're looking to see are there new admissions, are there new patients. Um, patients are admitted 24 seven. Uh, at our peak in December, we were seeing about uh, 15 to 20 new admissions on a 24 hour period just of COVID, um, which in context, we were seeing prior to, before COVID, we were seeing maybe 10 to 12 admissions a day in general, all throughout. So this was significantly higher because again, other illnesses didn't stop during COVID, um, but we were seeing a high number of patients and you would typically on a team get maybe four or five new patients in the morning, but while you're getting those patients, a patient might be crashing, two patients might be crashing, three patients might be crashing, and all of a sudden as a physician, you are torn and, and trying to decide where to go first. Um, in hospital, typically on a team, we have support. We have learners, we have students, we have residents that help us. But on COVID unit, we try to limit the exposure. So as a physician, you were kind of by yourself. Um, you had support of the unit and nurses, of course, but uh, from a clinical perspective, you were by yourself, which is very different than our usual model. So the added stress of you need to be in three different places at the same time um, and not knowing what the next hour was going to bring was probably the biggest stressor. Uh, there was this, there was a stress of emotions too, talking to families, talking to patients, patients dying. Um, on, on our busiest day, I think we had 10 deaths amongst three teams, which is a lot. Um, but you, and you had to just say, I'm sorry, and move on to the next. So there was no downtime, there was no time to process any emotion. You're also trying to include, uh, to ensure that flow is going through the hospital because there's people waiting in an emergency room trying to make their way up to have a bed. You don't want to keep COVID patients in the emergency room because you don't want to spread COVID throughout the emergency room. Mm -hmm. You're also trying to discharge patients, but discharging, a good discharge requires proper communication to the family physician, writing prescriptions, writing a discharge summary, writing out instructions for the patient so that they understand because they don't they don't understand medical jargon so there was a lot that was happening at once um, on top of that you know I have two kids so I might be getting called from home or from the school saying I got to send them home um, I'm getting calls from the clinic because I still have outpatients that I'm managing so the the stimulation that you're going through in a 12-hour in a shift or which is supposed to be an eight-hour shift mm -hmm. um, is quite a lot and I think uh, one of the things now, now that we are in a bit of a lull and we've not, you know, had to have a COVID ward for a few weeks, that all of us are reflecting on is just how how busy and chaotic it was, but to the point that we couldn't process anything. That you were just surviving and trying to get through the next hour. Yeah, yeah. And so, can you give us a little bit of understanding for those people that might not be familiar with the hospital setting, but what does it mean when a patient is crashing? And yeah. when, what do you mean by not being able to be in three places at once? Yeah, so in, in particular with COVID, what we were seeing is patients might test positive on, let's say, date, date December 1st, for example. Typically their symptoms get worse around seven days, and so and then maybe when they get admitted to hospital. They might be stable for two hours and then all of a sudden need uh, exp exponentially high amounts of oxygen. Uh, when I say high amounts of oxygen, typically if you think about people who are in hospital, they might need one, two, three liters of oxygen. We're talking about 60 liters of oxygen. We're talking about high flow, OptiFlow machines that are 
aerosolizing procedures that you have to wear complete protection. So when, when patients are crashing, they're acutely deteriorating. You want to make sure that you're protected so you can't run in the room like you normally would because you need to put all of your gear on, you need to put your N95 on, you've got to make sure that your everything is taken care of. You've got to call the respiratory therapist, they have to put all their gear on. So not only is the patient crashing, but your response time is delayed in, in attempts to protect yourself, protect yourself from then giving COVID to any other patient or any other provider that's in the hospital. And obviously it's unpredictable. So there could be two or three of them doing that at the same time. Obviously we can call intensive care. We have, we have emergency services that we can, we can uh, call upon, but at that time they were inundated as well. So they had no physician available to help me on the ward. And so at that point you're triaging, who do I see first? And, and those decisions to make in, in 30 seconds is not something we were ever trained for. Um, you know, I'm not an emergency room physician, so I don't, my brain doesn't naturally go to how do I pick where I go first. I'm very thoughtful. I want to know all the information, and there was no time for that. Mm-hmm. And so it's often said in the medical world, and it's taught to in allied health services in our education, that you don't, you don't take that stuff home with you. You create that, that barrier or that energetic barrier, and, and you leave it at the hospital. And in your experience, has that has that been possible for you to not take it home? No, uh, it hasn't. I mean, I think there's there's a there's a limit to what we are able to handle, and I think most physicians and people who work in acute care settings have a have a sense of being able to see death and then move on. I think that is part of our training, fortunate or not. I think that is just how we have been inundated. And I think pre-COVID, you could do it, and and probably not well, but we probably thought we were doing well. We probably thought we were putting a barrier with COVID it was different because number one it's in the media all the time it's it's being talked about everywhere so you're never really getting away from COVID even if you know even when you go home um I needed to debrief sometime I needed to talk about it or sometimes I just needed to be grumpy when I got home but I I always wanted there to be a context I wanted my husband to understand why I was lashing out at him um it, it, it was really difficult to do because you also don't want to bring it home to your family. You know, I don't want my husband, and he's fantastic at listening, and he doesn't absorb it, but how do I know he doesn't, right? And I've got young children, and they're extremely um, resilient and have heard me talk about a lot of things that probably kids shouldn't hear, and I don't know how much is <laughs> affecting them, but you, you don't want to. At the same time, where's your outlet? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Speaking of outlets, which is a nice little segue as well, um, you've been describing your integrative health journey, and I would say, based on what you described as even one day in the COVID ward, you could certainly use some self-care along the way. So what was it like for you to have that closure of allied health services disrupt your health journey? It was very, very difficult, and, and I have not been able to get back on the routine because you never know when it's going to close again. Um, as we know, I mean, even forget my personal journey for anybody that's going through um, any kind of body work, so massage or acupuncture, the, the, the most benefit comes from accumulation and from cumulative sessions from a regular pattern, just like taking your medications for your diabetes or, or whatever it may be. You're not going to take one day of medications and then be done. Um, So similarly, allied health, especially if we're saying that allied health and allopathic health are equal, which they are, 
you have to continue. You have to be able to build your body. Your body has gotten to a state where it can't remember what it's like to be at homeostasis, uh, and it needs the help of all these services to get there. And so when you don't have those services, you don't have the, the treatment modules that you need, your body's going to go back, and it becomes incredibly difficult to get back on track afterwards. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing that. I think lots of our listeners can definitely also relate to that, and I know that some of our industry friends and partners are still struggling to to reopen so i know that these effects are are still long lasting like you had mentioned i really like this this next thought thought that i had and i'm wondering if you can describe what it's like to both be engrossed in the healthcare system in the hospital in the current conventional model but also be trying to change the way the system can be experienced here at park integrative health in your role yeah, it's, it's very interesting. I think in the beginning, I, I saw them as two separate entities, but they're not actually. They, there's, there's a role for acute care, but at some point those patients will go home. At some point those patients uh, have to get back to their life. And also, probably a lot of stuff led them into the hospital. I mean, obviously the illness happens, but what were, what were their um, social situations like? What was their, were their mental health like that led to whatever illness landed them in the hospital. So I think there's been a lot of reflection on my end when I'm, when I'm in the hospital of how did this patient get here? How can we support them going home? The other interesting thing that just this last week I was on hospital service, I found myself having really fantastic conversations with my students. Um, I don't remember how it came up. I think there was, a, there was a, the patient who asked about acupuncture as an adjunct therapy for chemotherapy. And it, it spawned a really great discussion because I could see the bias already. These were young students. These were students who were in medical school. And I could see the bias already there. Mm-hmm. Um, and really not a founded bias, but just what they've heard or what they've been taught or kind of what they've experienced. And so it allowed me to have a really great discussion about PARC, about what we were doing here and why we were doing it. And the idea that if allied health practitioners, any healthcare providers is, is leading with the mantra of do no harm, then there's a role for all of us. There's a role for all of this to come together. And so when I think about how that relates to my role here at Park, I think it's the education piece of not only educating the patients, but also educating other providers. Our physicians that are here, we have fantastic physicians here, but I also know that educating them is gonna be part of this journey as well. Mm-hmm. And we've even been educated ourselves because I know that when we opened, like lots of people, and even like you mentioned, we thought that massage therapy was going to be carrying the allied health side, and we thought that was just a no-brainer. We're going to have to get 20 massage therapists to fill these rooms, and we found that actually mental health and then acupuncture are our highest capacity modalities, which I think is very telling to what you're saying. It's, it's the education piece that's out there, and our providers here have done a fantastic job educating the community and the public and their people just how important allied health services are. Can you tell me what you feel, and I've got some ideas in my head, but can you tell me what you feel is the biggest barrier to integrative medicine? Um, so I think there's, there's kind of, if I break it down to big and small, so the big barrier I think um, is lack of understanding and knowledge around how allied health actually is part of a preventative health model. When we talk about preventative health, we talk about uh, better health outcomes for communities. We talk about 
lower costs for healthcare system. We talk about more um, enriching of community in general. So if people are healthy, then you've got more productive citizens, you've got a, a robust economy. Uh, all things actually come back to health. And when a system, whether it's Alberta, Canada, the US, whichever system you're living in, uh, when they look at preventative health as a byproduct rather than the goal, uh, you're never going to be able to get integrative health as a forefront. Mm -hmm. In Alberta, we are very fortunate to have publicly funded health care. And on one hand, that's, that's excellent. You know, I trained, I'm from the U.S., I trained in the U.S., and I saw, I worked in a hospital where people didn't have health insurance, so they couldn't get the basics, they couldn't see a family physician, they couldn't get a blood pressure check without going bankrupt. So I think there's value to this publicly funded system, but I think when we don't elevate the right priorities in that system, it's never going to recoup the costs, you know, if we mm -hmm. talk simply from a cost perspective. One of, the, I think, the barriers for a lot of patients um, who, who want to access allied health is the, time, is the finances, right? They may have benefits, but it takes them to a point. What happens after that $500 is used up? Mm -hmm. Now we're telling them, we as society are telling them, your health is only worth this much money. After that, tough luck. You know, you're not mm -hmm. going to be able to get acupuncture. You're not going to be able to see the counselor that's been helping you through your, your crisis, your marriage, or whatever it might be. And so until we get a system that values preventative medicine and values the whole person, it's going to be very challenging to integrate everybody. And then I think from a micro level, and I'm speaking purely from a physician lens, again, it's education. I think that family physicians go into becoming family physicians because they want to be focused on preventative care but they're not given the tools to do that. Mm -hmm. They're given 10 to 15 minutes to quickly talk about what acutely is happening, to refill your prescriptions, to fill out your paperwork, and move on to the next. And they're on call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They don't get respite from that. And it's again, it's from a system that doesn't promote preventative care. I also think that hopefully at some point we're gonna be able to get into medical education and we can start targeting medical students early to say these are all the avenues of health not just what you're taught in textbooks mm -hmm. there's all these other things that are important and for a person throughout their journey sometimes the allied health is going to be the most important sometimes the surgery is going to be the most important but how do we put it all together and how do we have everyone view that this is a collaborative approach and that there's not one path and they're all equally valid right. so with the, the realities that you just spoke about what would you say that you're hopes and dreams are for what the future of medicine could look and feel like? I think that if we are able to come back to why healthcare providers go into healthcare, number one, you know, we all go into healthcare to help people. I remember my medical school interview and, and I was being coached, don't say that you just want to help people because that's not it, I said, but that's what I want to do. I want to help people find their path, get healthy, and at that time it was cure their disease. Um, so I think if we can all, as a healthcare community, whatever your role is, come back to why you went into healthcare, uh, that's that's the grassroots level, and that happens on an individual basis. So places like Park Integrative Health, if you're a practitioner here, you're a physician here, why did you choose to come to Park Integrative Health? Why did you choose to come here and work here? Is because we want to collaborate, we want to elevate healthcare. Ideally, I would love to, like I said, get into education and be able to influence medical school curriculum. I do think the physician role in, in integrative care is vital. If your physician isn't on board, it stalls. You can get to a certain point, but it stalls. And I think a lot of people probably listening to this feel the same way that 
my physician doesn't listen to me and my physician doesn't believe in this. And until we can get over that hump of this isn't about saying one is better than the other. This is about how do we work together? How do we ensure that we're being safe for our patients together? Until that happens, it's going to be really hard to move forward. Mm -hmm. I would definitely second that. Okay, we, we won't keep you much longer. I've got one more question. Um, what would you say to patients that are seeking an integrative approach in their health journey? Great question. And I think it can be probably quite um, intimidating to speak to your physician, especially if they've never brought up integrative health or they've never brought up allied health services. Number one, I think it's always important to establish what your goal as a patient is with your, your physician my goal is to be well, or my goal is to feel this way. My goal is to not have pain anymore. And sometimes that might require some reflection on your, on your own of what is your goal? What is my goal? Is my goal just to not have this back pain anymore? Okay, so let's talk about that very specifically. Or is it, I want to feel the best that I can feel. And that's probably a journey and that probably takes some time to get to. Um, but I think identifying your goal and then talking to your physician and saying, I would like to look at all the different options. I would like to work with you. And I think that's a very powerful statement. I would like to work with you to make sure that I'm being safe on this journey, but that I'm getting all of the options that I can to get myself on this journey. I think often when we, when patients are, and physicians are talking, it can feel like there's going against each other. That, oh, I saw this person, they said I should do this. And now your physician feels blindsided. They feel I don't know what the context was. You've never told me that this is what you want mm -hmm. or, or whatever it may be. You know, I think communication is really important. There may be physicians that still will say, I don't, I don't think you should go down that path. I don't think you should do it. You as a patient, you are the agent of your body. You want to make sure that you are heeding advice of professionals that you feel comfortable with, that you feel have your best interest at heart. Recognizing that we have a long way to go in education. So give your physician some grace as well understand where they're coming from that they probably not have had any exposure to this they probably don't understand fully what you're going through um, but particularly if you've had a relationship with your physician for many years talk it out ask them to have that open communication mm -hmm. no i think that that's i think that's some really great advice that a lot of our listeners will hopefully take heed to so i'm gonna wrap this up uh, we'd like to very sincerely thank you for taking this time. Um, should we get any other follow-up questions, we will definitely let you know. So again, my name is Brandon Jacobs. I've been here and co-hosting with Heather Gaisley, and we would like to remind you, and this is a quote from one of our teachers, to keep walking the true and integrative path, because even when your foot wobbles, it knows where to land. <laughs>